are listening to the AOTA podcast. Here is your host, Matt Brandenburg. All right. Today I am joined by Kate Barlow, a very special guest and a recurring guest. Kate is an associate professor at American International University. You have over 20 years of clinical experience in public schools early intervention, and pediatric outpatient clinics. Some of your research focus includes identifying and addressing pediatric feeding disorders and delays. Your work certainly has helped highlight the importance of occupational therapy in the public health realm and proposes the idea that there is still work to be done for occupational therapy in the world of public health. Before we dive into all of that, Kate, thank you so much for being on the show once again. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's an honor. Yeah, it, really, the honor is mine. I feel like there's so much I can learn from you and so much that our listeners are going to be able to uh, gain from this conversation, hopefully. Um, and to start us off, I want to ask, what are some ways that occupational therapy practitioners and other practitioners can work towards early detection of developmental delays? Sure. So most of the time when a family is referred to us, the child has already been identified as having a delay. And unfortunately, more than half of the children that need services between birth and age three, they're not identified and don't receive services. So one way we can try and identify children in the community is through parent education and advocacy. The CDC has a developmental monitoring program called Learn the Signs Act Early. And this program is a communication tool for parent engagement in monitoring their child's development. It has books, tip sheets, an app called the Milestone Tracker app. And the developmental checklists are listed by age. And it has the milestones that the child is supposed to meet. So everything for the program is free. It comes in English and Spanish. Um, the checklists come in about 15 languages. And if every OT in the U.S. started educating their friends, colleagues, and clients about the program, it would catch all of those children. Well, hopefully it would catch many of the children that are really falling through the cracks. And I love that. And I, I love that um, kind of final sentiment you shared. If, if every OT <laughs> practitioner was using this or doing this, how many lives would it be changing? That's, right. Even uh, people that don't work in pediatrics, even if you just know about it and you tell your aunt or your sister next time you see them, you know, just spread the word. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I work in an outpatient pediatric setting as well. And sometimes a lot of practitioners, we get a referral for um, a new child uh, and, and family that we're working with. And it's a very general diagnosis or general referral that we're given of, you know, a global developmental delay or a pervasive developmental delay. And a lot of times the parents aren't exactly sure what that means. And using resources like this provided by the CDC can be so helpful, I think, in, in educating a family to support, you know, increased independence and increased development for the kids that are so important to all the practitioners working with them out there. Absolutely. And you know what? The kids that don't qualify, how great to be able to send home uh, the parents with a tool that they can continue to monitor their child's development. So sorry we weren't able to pick you up, but please continue to monitor your child's development. It has so many different utilizations. It's really great. 
I love that so much. Yes. Let nobody leave occupational <laughs> therapy services empty handed. That's right. Um, over this past summer, Kate, you were appointed as the Massachusetts Early Childhood Agenda's priority number four work group co-lead for universal screening. That's quite the lengthy title, um, <laughs> but the agenda was released in January, um, and in April 2023, Massachusetts had its first ever statewide developmental monitoring and screening week, which you also co-led with United Way. Can you kind of introduce us to these roles and describe to us how kind of your efforts um, with the screening week went? Sure. The developmental monitoring and screening week was a great success. We had over 30 sites across the state host an event. Um, we provided guidelines for the event, and we also provided the CDC's Milestones Moment booklets. And then they also have a Where is Bear book that has milestones in it. So we provided the booklets and the bear book for sites that participated. But other than the booklets and the books, there was no other funding um, provided. So it was really a great success considering it was non-funded, basically. Um, we sent follow-up surveys to the sites that participated, and we got just over half to respond. And from that, we found that approximately 500 children were either screened or completed a developmental monitoring checklist uh, during the week-long event. So what was also great was that children who did not pass the screen or the developmental monitoring checklist were referred to their pediatrician. Or in Massachusetts, we have something called Family Ties, which is a referring agency. A lot of states have like a help me grow. So it's similar to that. Um, and then also hundreds of Learn the Signs actorly flyers were provided to families. So we're happy with it. We're going to run the event again this year. We're going to do it during the week of the young child, which is April 6th to the 12th, 2024. So any of you people in Massachusetts, get in touch with me, please. <laughs> We're hoping to do even better this year. I love that so much. And I think this is such a, a wonderful example of how occupational therapy fits into the public health realm and how occupational therapy practitioners like yourself can be leaders in public health initiatives that increase the access to services for so many people. Um, so I'm really excited about what we can learn um, about your lived experience in, in helping to create and apply this program. Uh, what exactly is the Massachusetts Early Childhood Agenda? And what was the process like for you being chosen as a co-lead for the group? Sure. Uh, the Early Childhood Agenda is a statewide initiative, and it's working to provide children birth to five and their families with everything they need. Resources like child care, preschool, health care, housing, food. The agenda has 10 priorities listed by importance. And then number four priority is supporting developmental monitoring, screening, referrals and delivery of service. So it's a lot in one priority. But I was chosen to co-facilitate this work group um, because of my position as chair of Mass Act Early. I've been the CDC's Act Early ambassador for Massachusetts since 2019. So I've been involved uh, with this work for a few years now, and I've gotten to know many of the stakeholders. I love that. You've um, done so much great work in the state of Massachusetts and are recognized for that. Um, was this sh shift into more of a, a public health 
type uh, work. Was that purposeful by you? Were you setting out as an occupational therapy practitioner saying, I want to impact the public more and you sought out opportunities to do so? Were, how did it How did it really come about pre-2019? <laughs> well, I kind of fell into the position, honestly. Chris Barnico, who's an occupational therapist, posted the ad on Community for actorly ambassadors for different states. They have applications for ambassadors every two years. And I just looked into it and I'm like, wow, this looks amazing. And my life goal is to work for the World Health Organization, excuse me. So I was like, this sounds great. This sounds like a great way for me to like make progress for where I want to be in 20 years. So I applied. And once I started learning more and more about all of the work that needs to be done in birth to five, especially in our state in Massachusetts, I would just, there's so much to do that I just got more and more involved each year that passed because there really is so much to do. So I love it. Like now I can't imagine not doing it. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. And I, I love your experience and how it highlights the ability of OT practitioners to apply their scope and their way of viewing an individual and even, you know, public health needs to improve someone's life and overall well-being. So it's, it's wonderful. And, and I hope our listeners feel encouraged to feel that they're qualified for those types of positions and they can increase their scope if they're looking to, to do so. Um, could you share with us how the group collaborated and developed the agenda itself? Uh, sure. So Strategies for Children is a nonprofit organization, uh, and they've been around for a while. And this group works to ensure high quality education um, for really early education uh, programs in Massachusetts. But during COVID, they started this 930 call, which was amazing. And it brought together people from all different disciplines, um, from public health and private or organizations across the state. It has physicians, therapists, preschool teachers, advocacy leaders, politicians come on, uh, Department of Public Health employees like Head Start, WIC, um, and lots of EEC providers. And I started attending the call whenever I could. And the people attending the call really work together. Um, and they, they, they put it out as a work group to identify the key issues in the state. It's truly great because Everyone in the work groups have so many different perspectives. So once the key issues were identified, then they brought back the issues uh, to everyone on the email list to vote on. And sort of like the, the COPM, where we have to identify how important each issue was. So that's what we did. And from that vote, the early childhood agenda was formed. And the priority number four is the work that I do in the promotion of early identification of delay. I love that. I love that. Even the organization of this group itself, you know, starting the the 930 call, making it really a habit of everyone involved uh, seems like a wonderful way to uh, just encourage collaboration and incorporate collaboration into a professional routine. Are you an occupational therapy practitioner ready to make a real impact? AOTA membership unlocks the knowledge and inspiration you need to implement best practices, explore opportunities, and reach your professional development goals. Don't miss the AOTA Inspire Annual Conference and Expo, the profession's largest gathering every spring, and specialty conferences throughout the year. 
AOTA members save up to 35% off registration and get unlimited access to over 200 online continuing education courses. Elevate your career. Elevate lives. Join AOTA today at aota.org slash membership. You mentioned the priority number four being the work that you do. Can you tell us more about that? The promotion of early identification of delay. What exactly is your work group working on? Well, in our September meeting, we voted on the priorities to address because we have (laughs) quite a bit, as I said before. And the top priorities for the group were developmental screening and the referral process. So then in our October meeting, um, we all contributed to one of those online group maps and we brainstormed potential goals for the group. And one of the goals will be the second annual developmental monitoring and screening week. So implementing that. And then the additional goals for our group um, for screening and the referral priority, they'll be voted on in our November meeting. So we don't have our goals yet, um, but we're working on it. Okay, it's wonderful to hear the the progress that the group is making Um, and something that I know I, at the very least, I'm going to want to keep tabs on and monitor. Um, a, a, A lot of this work that you do seems to point occupational therapy into the field of public health. What are some ways that you personally see these fields overlap? Yeah. So, um, well, in prevention, our fields greatly overlap. overlap. So universal screening um, and implementing statewide systems developmental monitoring is work that really requires collaboration with the Department of Public Health. Here in Massachusetts, the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, we call that WIC. Um, Well, WIC here in Mass is fully implementing developmental monitoring across the state. We're one of the first states to do it. Knowing that low income is highly correlated with developmental delay, right? It just makes sense. And implementing developmental monitoring at WIC appointments, it's a public health initiative. And it's really shown to increase the number of referrals for evaluations for children. Um, Oh, I have a new publication coming out, yay for me, uh, in the Journal of Infants and Young Children. And this was done collaboratively with Massachusetts WIC, and it's going to show the significant increase in referrals from this initiative. It's, It's really great. Absolutely. Congratulations on the publication, by the way. Oh, thanks. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> yes. So are we. We might have to have you on the show again for your recurring visit number two to discuss the publication <laughs> when it's out. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Um, it, it's pretty clear to see how OT can fit so well um, working together with, with public health. Why would you say it's important for occupational therapy to have a larger role in public health? Well, I can only speak to pediatrics, but in pediatrics, our current system isn't working. You know, the model of refer to the pediatrician in order to receive services, it's not working for our low income and our marginalized communities. Families that don't have a regular pediatrician, they're not receiving the recommended surveillance and screening. I mean, we need developmental monitoring and screening in the community. And OTs have the knowledge and background to do this. We absolutely should be doing this. Um, The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends the early relational health model, and this promotes universal prevention. 
So OTs need to be included as partners in this universal prevention. Um, I'm doing a short course at AOTA called Utilizing the Early Relational Health Framework in Serving Children's and Families. I'm doing this with Apple Sepulveda and Arazu Salamat. And we're doing it Thursday morning at 8.30. So come and see me at AOTA if you're interested. Yes, please. I did you like just, how I did that little plug for myself? <laughs> hey, we promote all plugs on the show. <laughs> I'm still finalizing my schedule and plan for AOTA, um, but that is going to be at the top of my list for short courses I want to be in attendance for. We mentioned earlier how you're an associate professor. How do you incorporate public health into your teachings at the American International University? Um, I guess educating students about health disparities really facilitates the conversation of OT's role in public health. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but every year the Annie E. Casey Foundation provides a Kids Count data book. And this lists the health disparities by state and by city and county, actually. So, for instance, here in Hamden County, where I live, which includes Springfield, Holyoke, and Chicopee, um, we have 11% of children living under the 50th percentile of the federal poverty level, which um, for a family of four, that's less than $30,000. So in addition to teaching the students about the CDC's Learn the Science Act Early program, um, students at AIC also learn the Survey of Wellbeing of Young Children. This is the SWIC. Um, it's a screening tool, but it really requires students to be able to ask caregivers family context questions and make appropriate referrals, such as to WIC, SNAP, um, give a food insecurity screen, a mental, maternal mental health screen, provide domestic violence support information, and, you know, et cetera. But in order to really provide family-centered care, we need to support the family. And therapists have to have knowledge of community resources to do that. That's such a wonderful point. And it, it, it's really clear to me how, you know, myself as a therapist and, and other practitioners can expand their scope if, if they have the knowledge of community resources. What, what's a tip that you would give to a, a student or a practitioner to increase their knowledge of what resources are, avail are available? Where can an OT go to kind of learn about some of these initiatives? Well, every state has a CDC ambassador, so I will give you the link, Matt, for the listeners. Um, but every state has a CDC ambassador that and they are involved very closely with all of the public health initiatives. Um, I always teach my students, you know, make sure you tell the families that they need to use their WIC benefits before their SNAP benefits. And these little things that really do make a difference to support families. And if you are unfamiliar with the area you live, you know, if you're out on field work and you're, you moved somewhere new or even just moving to a new part of the country, you may not know all those resources. So, you know, where's public housing? Where's the local head starts? Like all that information is really important to families. So I think one thing you can do is get in touch with the CDC ambassador and they have, you know, teams of people that get together to really tackle these initiatives. I love that. That's such a wonderful recommendation. And yes, any and all resources will be linked in the episode description. So please check those out as well. And hopefully there's just going to be a new flood um, <laughs> in the inbox of every CDC ambassador. 
That would be great. We have a, a team for every state. So ours is the Mass Actor League team, but most states have a team and it's diverse individuals. Um, currently, we only have two occupational therapists that are CDC ambassadors. And, you know, we have 50 states. Some states have two ambassadors, the territories. So there's about 60 of us or so, 65 of us. And we only currently have two OTs. So um, even just joining the ACT Early team for the state, you'll be contributing so much with your lens as an occupational therapist. It would be great. I love that. I love that. Um, Kate, how could other educational institutions kind of bring to focus a public health and their teachings of occupational therapy and kind of promote or empower more of their students and future practitioners to really engage and and participate in public health initiatives? Well, in pediatrics, teaching about the importance of combining developmental monitoring and screening for early identification delay is certainly one important step. We can also teach about using the early relational health framework, which has a focus on both infant mental health and maternal mental health. And it also promotes universal prevention and screening. So I think teaching our students about health disparities and federal programs for low-income individuals, such as SNAP and WIC and Head Start that we mentioned before, this is all so important. I love that so much. And, you know, that goes back to our point that that first step of, of knowing how to start and, and what resources to turn to to gain that knowledge that really is essential into entering the public health um, field is so important. Um, but after that, from what we've discussed today, it sounds like there's so many other important aspects um, that students, practitioners that we can all prepare for. Um, one being, you know, how to work in a group and one being how to bring the OT lens to an initiative or to, you know, a, a system that a state or an organization already has in place that's focused on uh, public health. Um what tips or recommendations would you give to listeners to help them kind of learn how to come into a group or come into a, an initiative and present OT's unique lens on it? <laughs> Just a small question there, Matt. No, uh, <laughs> in pediatrics, we're always looking for places to do our level one field work with students. And we are so fortunate at uh, the college where I work because we have a great relationship with the Head Start in the community. So I've been bringing my students to Head Start. And then a couple of years ago, I wrote a grant um, to allow for me to work two days a week at the Head Start. So I think building relationships with your community organizations really helps. And last year, when we had the developmental monitoring and screening week, because I already had this relationship with Head Start, and I had the separate relationship with WIC, we were able to do a combined event. So, you know, our um, developmental monitoring monitoring and screening week had both Head Start and WIC and the parents from the community all in one spot. So that really does make it easier for families, but also it, it makes a better event. So I think relationships is really the key to to making progress. I love that. That's such great advice. And you're such a great example of that in in connecting these two organizations and uh, just really through the power of connection, making public health initiatives happen um, and and become a reality. Um, You've also done work in Ghana and uh, correct me on my pronunciation here. Is it 
Guiana? Well, I've, I haven't actually been there, but I have, I have heard it pronounced Guyana and Guiana. So I'm not 100% sure which is correct. It's sort of like Tanzania, Tanzania, and Tanzania. So people from Tanzania say Tanzania. So we're just going to say whatever you say is correct. How about that? Okay, I'm, I'm all right with that. <laughs> um, but you started the International Interprofessional Internship Program. Can you kind of talk about this program and how it's impacted occupational therapists abroad and how practitioners could potentially get involved? Right. So I'm sorry, it's, it's a mentorship program, not an internship program. But uh, mentorship is so important for our profession. Here in the U.S., we're so lucky. Um, we have the AOTA's community of practice for men- mentorship. I belong to the feeding, eating, and swallowing COP. And I learned so much from my peers. Uh, therapists in other countries don't have these kind of resources available to them. So years ago, I belonged to the WFOT task force for the University of Guyana. And um, I was providing mentorship with uh, Dr. Janet O'Flynn to the OTs that graduated from the program. They were the very first uh, to graduate. So they're the first OTs in the country. So they couldn't get mentorship because there were no other OTs, right? So mentorship either had to come from outside of the country or from another discipline like physiotherapists. So then I was providing mentorship. And then I went to the WFOT conference in South Africa in 2018 and I ran into a couple Ghanaian OTs who I had met at the University of Ghana uh, when I was doing my doctoral research in 2014. Uh, and they were also the first OTs to practice in their country. And they were like, Kate, hi, we need mentorship, right? Because they also were the first. So rather than like mentor them separately, I started the International Interprofessional Mentorship Program. And that started in June 2019. And we've just continued to grow in membership ever since. But I have help. Uh, Dr. Sarah McKinnon from MGHIP, she has been volunteering as the vice chair for the program, and she helps send out certificates of attendance. She helps with meeting facilitations and help recruit speakers. And then before Sarah joined, I had help from David Thongford, um, and he was the chair of the WFOT task force. So um, I've had a lot of help. <laughs> and then this summer, I got financial support from American International College, which was huge. And then I was able to transition the program into OT Echo, utilizing the Project Echo um, platform. Um, I was able to hire Dr. Kelsey Sullivan as an assistant to run the program, and it's just been amazing so far. So I don't know if you're familiar with um, Project Echo, but the Echo platform is a evidence-based platform that requires active participation. So instead of just listening to someone present for an, uh, an hour, um, it's, it's quite different. Now the subject matter expert provides a 30-minute presentation, and then we have a case study, and then we have breakout rooms into small groups um, to really discuss the case study questions. And the breakout room facilitators are great. They're from all over the world. Greece, Rwanda, Tanzania. I have a student. This is great, Matt. I have a student who I traveled to Bulgaria with last summer with Therapy Abroad who's applying to OT school this fall. And she helps. She's on OT Echo as a breakout room facilitator. So we have such a great group of diverse volunteers. We meet once a month. um, And now it's the second Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. 
it used to be at different times, but once we transitioned to OT Echo, we're keeping the same time um, to really make it sort of uniform. And in our, our, we just had our October meeting and we had therapists from 10 different countries on the Zoom, which it's just so great. Like we're all learning from each other. We're learning how OT is practiced in different countries. Um, listen, we would love to have more members. So here's another plug. If any OTs are interested out there, please join us. Matt, I will give you our website and the registration link to join. <laughs> yes, please do. Please do. I'll make sure that's available to all of our listeners. This program sounds amazing. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be the first occupational therapist in an entire country. Um, right. And and I rely so much on mentorship every day. And, and it seems like mentorship plays such a, a an important role. Um, you know, here in the States, but also internationally. And what a wonderful example of creating a community where these international mentorships can occur. Um, it, it sounds like a, a wonderful program. W what do you really see for this program moving forward? How do you think it's going to continue to grow or evolve in the future? Well, my goal is that there'll be spinoffs, right? So spinoffs of the program in different regions of the world so that the therapists have a mentorship program in their own time zone, in their own language, and especially with subject matter experts from their own community because OT looks different in different countries. So rather than sort of having a global north focus, it would be really nice if we had uh, more presenters from all over the world, but also if we had more regional programs. Uh, Rwanda actually started their own mentorship program, which is so exciting. And um, a member of the program from Kuwait, she's been trying to start her own mentorship program for a few years now. So it would be great if, um, you know, countries were able to start their own. Um, but right now, the, the way it, it is, is that a lot of the presenters have been um, from the U.S., uh, really contacts that I that I ask a honeydew for. <laughs> but the U.S. has a master's degree as an entry level where most countries around the world have a bachelor's and actually, most of the members, uh, the participants every month that come to OT Echo, they're from a sub-Saharan country in Africa. And in sub-Saharan Africa, the degree is either a three or four year diploma or a bachelor's degree to enter the profession. So the level of education really varies. Um, but I would love, this is a dream now, but I would love for WFOT to take over OT Echo and house all of the recordings for the meetings. It would just provide access to more OTs and it would also really help with sustainability. But I'm going to keep trying to try to get WFOT uh, to take over OT Echo. And uh, I just think it would be great if more people had access. Absolutely. Absolutely. We love dreaming big on, on this <laughs> podcast. That's right. part of what we're here for. That's such a wonderful example, again, of uh, not just initiating a program or establishing an initiative, but doing it in such a way that it becomes sustainable. Um, and I think that's, you know, a main goal for all occupational therapy practitioners, uh, whether we're treating individually and you want someone to be able to carry over their new habits and, and increase well-being into their own life, 
or it's one of these international public health initiatives. You just don't want it to be a, a one and done event or a, a one step improvement. You want it to be something that's sustainable, that lasts and, and continues to evolve. Um, so really thank you for detailing that program and, and sharing that example with us. You bet. Um, Again, anyone interested, come check us out. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely um how could they check you out would it, it be just those links that you'll send me should we be plugging you know a social media account or something that someone could follow right now sure actually um one of the members from greece started a facebook page so um he adonis is in charge of the facebook page and he's posting all of the meetings and um, it's a registration link. So if you register one time for OT Echo, then you'll get the email notifications. You'll have access to the PowerPoints. Uh, the Zoom link occurs 30 minutes before the meetings. So if you register one time, then you have access to all of the monthly meetings. But I will give you all of that information, uh, Matt, after this call. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, what, what are some other resources that you would recommend to occupational therapy practitioners looking to expand their knowledge of OT and public health? Where can they go to learn more about that? Ooh, I will give you some articles and websites for people to get started. That, that would be great. I do a lot of research in this area, so I can um, give the citations for a bunch of good articles for OTs to start. Sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I, I think public health, again, it, it, it varies so much. I, I Some practitioners like yourself have been involved with this for so long and made so many great strides in OT's involvement, but others, it feels like, really haven't heard much about OT potentially fitting into public health and uh, don't have, you know, a really good knowledge or foundation of public health to begin with. Um, so any resources that can help uh, kind of bolster that, I think, would be very helpful. You bet. Um, what's something you'd like to share with OTs about your work and how they could uh, learn more about it if there's anything else you'd like to plug? I guess I would just say that advocacy matters. You know, I'm active in advocacy in my state, but, you know, if you don't have it in you, you know, a lot of times people are like, no, politics. Um, but if it's not for you or you don't have the time, you know, donating to AOT PAC really does help. You know, we all need to contribute to advancing our profession. So I would just say, you know, step it up, everyone. We need to advance occupational therapy. So if you're not going to do it yourself, then I would request that you donate to AOT PAC and, and let them do it for you. I love it. Thank you so much, Kate. We've reached the golden nugget segment, which is our conclusion of the show. If there was one golden nugget or one piece of advice or knowledge that you could share with listeners, what would you say? I would probably say that the ripple effect is real. I have had some amazing mentors along the way. Ooh, special shout out to Stacey Reynolds. She was my doctoral advisor at VCU. And she just made research seem easy. You know, her ability to break things down into simple steps for completion, it just made research accessible to me. I, I also had an amazing peer mentor, Bonnie Riley, through my OTD program, and she really pushed me. She, she got me to do my first ever presentation at a state conference. 
And she also gave me my first opportunity to guest lecture at a university. So I thank them both so much for the help that they've given me. And right now I have, uh, I mentioned her earlier, but Chris Barnico is an OT and she's a mentor to me right now that I have. And she's just really opened doors for me and helped me on my journey. Um, Chris, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Barnico's work, but she's a leader in maternal mental health and infant mental health and OT. And I've just learned so much from her. So I guess the golden nugget would be, um, you know, all the things that we do, they really do make a difference to someone else. I love that. Thank you, Kate. That's a, a wonderful nugget. And once again, just a wonderful illustration of the importance of community um, and establishing connections with uh, like-minded people as occupational therapy practitioners, you know, together we're stronger um, and can increase our impact and, and our scope in a way that benefits the health and well-being for all of the people um, that we'll potentially treat. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for your time. It has been wonderful catching up with you, Kate. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is great. I appreciate it. Come see me at AOTA. I will be there. I have some, uh, I have two posters uh, that are on global education. One is on the education that's provided in pediatrics uh, for WFOT programs across the globe. So that one's pretty exciting. I also have another poster. Of course, these are all with colleagues. It's not, I can't take credit for them all. Um, with another poster I have is with um, what are the continuing education needs in pediatrics for therapists around the world. I have one on a poverty simulation and interprofessional education event that we did at American International College. And of course, the workshop that I already mentioned on early relational health with Apple and uh, Arazu. So please come see us. There you go. Kate. You're going to have a busy weekend. Uh, <laughs> I know. There I know. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for your time. It's been a true pleasure. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to the AOTA podcast. Tune in again next time.